anniversaries are a good time for remembering. And 10 years, that's a decade of being faithful as a church to love, honor, and obey God in Christ Jesus. That's something to celebrate. Think about a wife at a candlelight dinner celebrating a 10th anniversary, and she looks through the candlelight to her husband, and she says this, For 10 years I've been faithful to you. I have never flirted or given my heart to any other man. I have been faithful to you because of your love for me, which is greater than my love for you. I do not love you faithfully because I have to, but because I want to. I am faithful and have been faithful, and I do promise by the strength that I draw in your love and faithfulness to me to be your loving and faithful bride for the next ten years ahead. We are at Two Rivers, as a church, the Bride of Christ. And today, we're celebrating an anniversary, albeit without candlelight and white tablecloths. And we can say the same as that wife did to her husband. And as your pastor, that is something that I am very, very proud of. I am proud in the faithfulness of God to us, and I am proud in your faithfulness to God. What do you think the husband would say in response to his wife's professed faithfulness and his, her goal to remain faithful for another decade? I believe he would say, let's celebrate wine, champagne, Join me in a toast, everyone, as we celebrate the past, the present, and we look forward to the next 10 years together. He would say, let's always remember. Let's always remember this moment. Let's remember the past. But in that remembrance, let's look forward to the future. You see, God's record of faithfulness to His people is displayed in the history of each congregation. Yet often it's not remembered as the years roll on and we as children, we go to the next thing ahead without reflection on His faithful love, His guidance, His deliverance in very specific ways in our life and in the life of our church history. In other words, we slowly move away from experiences of joy, pain, answered prayer, miraculous deliverances, moments of profound surrender and consecration of our life, and mountain-moving episodes of faith. We forget. Verse 7 says, so that they should set their hope, and that means trust, in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. They, these two things that we might 
always trust and never forget. And then also that we would pass it on. And when we forget by failing to remember, we're more susceptible to doubt in His power. We lose faith in Him to be there for us, to be our deliverer in the battle. And so we drift toward a DIY spirit. Do it yourself. Rather than a DIWY, do it with you spirit, which has one's heart steadfast trust in God to always be there at my side in whatever battle, whatever trial I face as an individual in Christ and also as a church. We forget. We get sleepy. We become to a point that we put less trust, less faith in Him, and become more self-reliant to get through. And it fails us. My text this morning is one of the longest psalms. There's only one longer, and that's Psalm 119. But it's filled with the faithfulness of God to His people, His church, His children. This is a, this is a letter, a psalm, to His church. And the response that is required is that we as a church be faithful to Him. And as God's chosen people, it says in verse 1, give ear, O my people. This is for His covenant people. It's not for those outside of the church, even though if you're a guest with us, please, you're welcome. We are so glad that you're here. But this is a, a letter. This is a psalm. This is a song for His covenant And he asks them in verse, he bids them in verse 1 to have their ear in a certain reclining posture. Bend your ears, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. You don't have it in your bulletin where we print the scripture, but you have it in your Bible that the heading over this is not only tell the coming generation, but it's a mescal of Asa. When Asa wrote this, this A mescal means it's a teaching song. It offers insight, instruction to us. And that's what the psalm is about in the first eight verses. It it tells us and offers us instruction that not only are we in putting our trust in God who has proven himself over and over again, such that we remember that, but that we're also to tell the next generation. In other words, the two things that mark our faithfulness are to remember and then retell. Remember God, put our trust in Him, see all of those events where He has proven faithful as our deliverer, and then retell that. There's a pattern in the remaining uh, story. The pattern that we see emerge in Psalm 78 in the remaining is that God provides deliverance in the exodus. And then in the wilderness, He gives them manna. And then He gives them quail. And He gives them water. And then later, He, He shows and protects His people during the plagues, even the Passover of the death angel. But time and time again, while they see these great events and God again is their strong deliverer, over time they get sleepy. 
And they forget. They don't remember. They don't retell. And then as it says in verse 33, So he made their days vanish like a breath, and their years in terror. When he killed them, they sought him. They died to him. They repented and sought God earnestly. They remembered that God was their rock, the most high God, their redeemer. But they flattered him with their mouths. They lied to him with their tongues. Their heart was not steadfast toward him. They were not faithful to his covenant. Yet he, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all of his wrath. He remembered that we were but flesh, a wind that passes and comes not again. See the pattern? God delivers you. God delivers me. I do well to mark that and remember it because when, over the passage of time, I forget, I begin to put weight on myself to deliver and I begin to drift into my heart being far from Him. I begin to practice disobedience. I begin to reap the consequences of that. I cry out, once again, God delivers. And there again, we repeat over and over again. At any given point in time, at Two Rivers, there is someone who is coming in to a fresh, vibrant renewal of their faith in their heart with God, and there's someone who is very, very distant. But as a church, God is working such that we remember, and then they, as they come out of a fog or a spell, they remember, yes, 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 God is the deliverer. And as they remember by our remembrances, then they are also able to even retell the story. In these eight verses, I'd like for you to observe two things about being and remaining faithful to God now and for the next ten years. By the way, side road, a decade is a better measure of your real faithfulness and His faithfulness than one year. Right, first observation. Observe that this is a parable with a lesson about not forgetting. Verse 2 says, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. The word for parable is proverb. It's the same word. So that sets this psalm in the wisdom section at Barnes & Noble. It's not simply knowledge. It has a more personal or prophetic benefit for its listeners. It's life-changing. It offers insight, direction, guidance that a list of facts or data or knowledge does not. Knowledge comes from impersonal sources, while wisdom has a more personal source like a guide. A rabbi instead of a Pharisee. A prophet instead of a librarian. A person who comes to you as a mentor in discipleship instead of just a Sunday school teacher. Not to make light of Sunday school teachers. But it's much more personal walking alongside of you. Speaking wisdom into your life. And you 
eagerly receiving it, not simply as knowledge, but trusting by their faith, by their remembering, by their retelling, by their recall, and by the age of their experience, that you're getting real wisdom and not simply knowledge. Jesus, in Matthew 13, 35, quotes verse 2. He uses a different language, though, when it comes to this dark saying. This was to fulfill, it says that Jesus said nothing to his disciples except with a parable. Parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will utter my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. So it's, it's a riddle, but it's got a very pointed answer. The answers are available. We're not left to figure life out on our own. To be faithful is to be able to answer the riddle. What are God's ways? Psalm 78 is a parable. And this parable, like all parables, has a lesson. A very specific point. A very specific answer. And that is verse 7. So that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. That is what marks a faithful person in a faithful church. That's the point. That's the parable. And the, the rest can be a negative example of what occurs when we do forget. When we do then move to put our trust in something other than God. Asa, in verse 9, uses an example. He says, the Ephraimites, armed with the bow, turned back on the day of battle. Though they were a strong and armed people, they even took offense when Gideon didn't invite them with all of their army force and their skill and the bow to fight. They were a northern tribe that they built their own place of worship, a second house of Israel. And over time, they fell into idolatry. Judges chapter 1, verse 29 says, And Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Geyser, so the Canaanites lived in Geyser among them. You would need to go back to Exodus to read that they were commanded that when they came into the land of Canaan, that they were not to worship like the Canaanites. They were not to compromise. They were not to put their heart's trust in the things that the Canaanites did. They were not to become, in New Testament language, worldly. Oh, they weren't to be holier than thou or to see themselves as some type of spiritually arrogant people. But they were not to worship their idols. They were not to worship like them. But they did. They did. In other words, they failed to remember the very God that called them out of Exodus as a distinct people to give them a distinct land that they became very much like its inhabitants, Canaan. 
They are today the tribe of Ephraim no more. They are known as the lost tribe of Israel. John Calvin says that Ephraim is like the apostate church. It has all the form of worship, but its heart's trust in God has left. Its trust is in itself. So they're like a church that forgets the faithfulness of God and what He's done, and they go their own way, and they become therefore faithless. And they never enter the battle. It says that they turn in the day of battle, they leave. God is not their deliverer at their side. He is not their warrior leading them in battle. They either face the battles alone or they just face them not at all. I want to ask you, two rivers, to take this parable and its lesson to heart. Remember that by seeking wisdom, it will help you to remember and it will help you to be faithful. Psalm 119, that longer psalm, Verses 98 through 100 says, Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. What are your enemies? It's with the commandments, the very words and wisdom of God that we face them. I have more understanding than all my teachers for your testimonies or my meditation. I understand more than the aged, and that means elders, for I keep your precepts. Commandments, teachers, the aged, these are all the psalmist mentors. They are speaking into his life. His ear is inclined and bent to hear. They're words for life and for battle to be God's people. And he clings to him and he, he almost gets excited when he's like, wow, I'm getting smarter than my teachers. And though I'm not aged, by their experience and by their recall of these events and God's faithfulness, I'm becoming like them. Jesus, in John 16, verse 13, says of this mentor promised to us the Holy Spirit, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. This is not simply visions and dreams and prophecy. But it's, they're things that we cannot see. Because of our limited vantage point that only a sovereign God on the throne can see. And the Holy Spirit can give us that peace if we will trust in His ways to navigate as each day unfolds. He will glorify me, verse 14 of John 16, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. God the Father speaking to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ comes to earth and He speaks as a representative of God the Father, of the Father's kingdom, the Father's way, the Father's will. The Father is your Father. He is with you. He is your strong deliverer. Jesus, Jesus spoke to His disciples. But then following His resurrection and ascension, He is at the 
right hand of God the Father. But now we are still not left as orphans. We're not left alone because we are forever His people. He has sent the Holy Spirit like a mentor to speak into your heart, to declare over and over again, even in our wanderings, every day, that voice is still speaking to us, declaring to us the very words and counsel and wisdom of Jesus in our life. Consider the Bible this morning a directory of mentors. This last week, my mentor was Joseph. And I read as a mentor, reading through the life and the ways of Joseph and the ways of God with Joseph, I began to look at him like a mentor to me. I didn't simply read for knowledge, but I read like a man hungry for wisdom. Joseph, you've experienced things that I have not experienced. You've been betrayed by your very family. How do, I, how do I deal when I feel like I've been forsaken by family or friends? How do I, how do I deal with that? How do I get over a, a hard attitude toward those that I, sh- I drift toward bitterness? But Joseph, you forgave them. How did you? This week, I'm going into the life of Moses. But again, reading him as if he's a mentor inspired by God, speaking into my life. And then... To remember. Second observation, and more briefly, observe the command to teach lessons from our remembrance. What's your theology? What do you know to be true about God? What do you know to be true from your experiences that no one else has had and your own faith journey? What riddle or dark saying from of old, can you solve for someone else? For you see, church, you, you and me are commanded, commanded to teach the generation around us, and particularly the generation that is below us. Verse 4 says, we will not hide them from their children. Yes, we have, that, we have that scripture that says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. But we're not to hide it from others. Our faith journey and our, our growing knowledge of God and the things that we've experienced are for the telling. Even in verse 6 it says that the next generation might know them the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. Corinne Melchers, we've not perhaps seen her yet. We know that she is our newest newborn in the family at Two Rivers. But even now, even prior to her coming, I'm sure that Michael and Carrie were praying, praying for this precious little girl, praying even for her heart that God was knitting together in the womb. And as a congregation, we undertake to disciple the least, the youngest, even while they're in the womb, to make a plan where we be a church that takes seriously the retelling to the youngest generation or even the generation below us. I'm 58 years of age. Many of you are two generations below me. 
So I take responsibility. I want to recall and I want to retell seeing out of my remembrance the way that God has worked again and again as deliverer. And we see that in verse 5. What is it that we're to teach and tell? The testimony of Jacob. He established a testimony in Jacob, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. You know what the testimony of Jacob is? Jacob's name was changed to Israel. But in the scriptures, in the Psalms, wherever Israel is not recognized as Israel, but his former name as Jacob, it's con man. It's, it's striving. It's making your own way. It's, it's conning the old man so you can get the best of the pie. It's it's. It's going into the battle relying only upon yourself. It's living like an orphan. But God did not abandon Jacob. God didn't love Jacob because he was lovable. He loved him because he set his love on him. He loved scoundrels. He loved the least of these. He loved sinners. It's the gospel of deliverance. It's the testimony of Jacob. And we're to recount that over and over again. God forgives sinners whom I'm the worst. We have our own testimony. Are we telling it? Now, you, you need to learn the flow. You need to learn to remember, retell, then repeat it. Remember what God's done in your life and what you've learned. Retell it and then repeat. Rinse. You might say, well... I don't really know anything to really pass on to someone. Go back and read my first observation. Put yourself in the way of wisdom. Find a mentor. The Holy Spirit speaks from the Scriptures to our heart. Other mentors are found here. And also there are people, flesh and blood, men and women, that are more than eager to come alongside of you and help you to Look into these riddles and to see the very wisdom of God. Let me encourage you, as I conclude, to take some time for an exercise and reflection that will give and strengthen your heart's hope, your heart's trust, that you can count on it for future faithfulness. And... It'll be, with this exercise, a, give you a fresh conviction for an ever-increasing walk of faithfulness, obedience, a consecrated life, trusting in Him, following Him. And it's all prompted by love, not simply duty. Remember the bride? I love you not because I have to, but because I want to. I love you because of your faithful love to me in response to that. You love me first, and now I love you in return. We see that love in Jesus Christ. Beaten in my place. He died in my place. He was buried in my place. Shut in in the dark in my place. He rose again 
and I take his place. And he stands again. He ever lives. We stand alive in God because of him. That love will help us in this exercise. Here's the exercise. Write down a list of ways that you're different in the area of trusting God to always be there for you like a father who never abandons but always hears and provides what his children need even in the greatest in the midst of trials. And then do that also on this list. How is your trust changed, deepened, but also do that with obedience. Ten years ago, I'm asking you to look back over the last ten years of your life. A decade ago, look at that man, look at that woman. What did sexual purity look like for you ten years ago? What did the bent towards serving yourself only or first look like? What did anger look like? What did your doubts look like? Do you have those same, same doubts? Or have you grown to trust Him more? Have you grown to be more a, a, a Christian who resembles an obedient Christian? Brothers and sisters, we're not home, so perfection is a long way off. But a decade from now should find you and me and two rivers more faithful to love, honor, and obey God and whom we have union with. It should find us more trusting to look to Him in any of the battles that we face as our strong deliverer, strong deliverer. And it should find us more mindful to remember and ever eager and passionate to retell it to others. Let's pray.